name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by My Hockey Resource and Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and/or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today, I'm joined by Jason Deskins, Assistant General Manager and Director of Scouting with the Omaha Lancers. As a key member of a USHL staff, Jason also has a tremendous understanding of the minor hockey system, coaching a couple of powerful honey-baked teams over the past two seasons. The interview as a whole contains information on management, scouting, and coaching, making it a must-listen for all. With that, I am happy to present Jason Deskins, Assistant General Manager and Director of Scouting with the Omaha Lancers. Hockey fans, we've been patiently waiting the last couple weeks to see what's going to happen with the trade deadline. And in basketball, that trade deadline is approaching quickly, as basketball has officially entered the second half of the season. This is the time for teams to prove if they are contenders or pretenders. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Get in the action now to claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. You just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, steal, assist means so much more with a DraftKings daily fantasy lineup. Up north, we're definitely watching the Toronto Raptors play out of Tampa this season and want to know what they're going to do with Kyle Lowry, Norman Powell, and other players. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so what are you waiting for? Head to the app now. Download the DraftKings app now and use code THPN during sign-up. That's code THPN and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Jason Deskins, Assistant General Manager and Director of Scouting with the Omaha Lancers. Jason, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to get you on and talk about your scouting career. As people know, I'm always interested in that side of the game, but with your Assistant General Manager role and some of the coaching experiences that you've had to date, there's a lot to unpack, and I think there'll be a lot of good lessons for listeners. So let's start off by learning about you tell people about your upbringing, maybe playing sports in your early years, and just give a general overview of who you are as a person. Sure, sure. Yeah, I I grew up in Detroit, um, played minor hockey here all the way from, uh, you know, Mites all the way up to uh, Bantam, and then actually moved away for a couple of years and uh, went up to Toronto for two years and played a year of midget hockey and year of junior hockey in Markham. Um, came back home and finished my junior career playing for Compuware back in the day when uh, they used to have a North American Hockey League team uh, back in 1996. Um, and then ended up playing uh, five years at Miami of Ohio um, uh, for Division One college hockey and had a short four-year career um, in the minor minor pro ranks and um, now back, uh, you know, back involved in hockey in a different capacity on the management side. And and then the coaching and development side, working with our, uh, you know, our midget players here in Detroit. And uh, I have a couple of young sons that are growing up as well. So 
enjoying them and enjoying that experience of working with their teams and developing them as players and uh, excited to go through that process as a, as a dad uh, to kind of match up with the coaching side and the administrative side and, and obviously uh, my playing side, uh, you know, from back in the day. So. Yeah, a number of different experiences that you talked about there, a little bit of playing, obviously we'll get into that and then uh, bringing it into the management today, but also the coaching with your kids. And it kind of just shows the, the different dynamics of the game that you've taken to uh, grow an interest in and, and learn a little bit about. So let's transition to the part about being a player. I know you were as a captain at the NCAA level and then had some experiences in the AHL and ECHL. Uh, maybe just walk us through those in a little bit more depth, kind of how you moved around each place and just what you learned that maybe you can take into your positions today. Yeah, yeah. I think as a player, um, you don't really, your mind's not really in that setting, I guess, when you're playing uh, where you truly understand what those experiences are going to mean for you as you evolve and develop as a, not only as a human being, but also as a human being that's um you know, wants to be in hockey, uh, whether it be coaching or, or, you know, the management side or administrative side. Um, you know, as a player, obviously, my days at Miami um, was a great experience for me. Um, Division One college hockey is a, uh, it's a great experience from an educational side, um, from an athletic side, uh, and then from a social side. So I wouldn't trade those years uh, for anything. Uh, probably four or five of the best years of, uh, of my life, uh, being, a, being a Red Hawk there and um, going through that process with my teammates as a Division One player. So um, that was an amazing thing for me. Uh, the pro hockey side of it, um, much different, much more uh, production-driven, obviously, and business-like. Uh, traveled around a lot uh, in my four years. I was in a few different places, a bit of a suitcase in my, my rookie year, trying to figure out how to be a pro. Uh, got through that a little bit and started to learn what um, what I need to do to be successful as a player in pro hockey. And no matter what anybody tells you, it's uh, pro hockey is a completely different animal than playing playing college or you know even major junior for that for that matter. Um, you know you're playing against grown men and you come out at 21, 22 years old and have to find a way to acclimate to a completely different um, you know a game. I guess per se, the game is played much differently and expectations are much much higher. Um, and then just the general feel on a day-to-day -day basis is much different than it was in college hockey. So, um, you know, that taught me a lot about how, how, to, uh, how to compete every single day, um, how to go into situations and, and learn uh, the ups and downs and, and jumping over hurdles and hoops and uh, having some failures and finding ways to bounce back and, and get back up. And I think I've used all of those uh, experiences, even as a coach and as a dad, um, and even as an evaluator, uh, you know, my roles in, in management too. Yeah, I think it's always important to bring up the playing experiences when we get a guest that's had, um, you know, experiences, whether it's even just AAA hockey or even like you going into the NCAA and then the AHL and the ECHL, uh, just because there is so many different things that can be learned. And a lot of times you find that you might not even realize you're learning them until you're kind of, um, you know, out of the playing experience and, and taking on that new role or that new opportunity. And one of the opportunities that you started off with was coaching and at the AAA level as an assistant coach with the Detroit Falcons. Uh, walk us through that initial AAA experience and uh, maybe the learning curve of getting behind the bench in that capacity. Yeah, the um, I took a couple of years off after I retired. So I went through um, my last year of pro. I ended up retiring. I had a couple of bad concussions uh, when I was playing down in Phoenix and um, got away from the game for a little bit, went through 
through some post-concussion syndrome, um, you know, symptoms for about a year and a half, actually. So I was kind of away from the game for, for about two years. Um, got a random phone call from a friend asking if I was interested in helping out and being a coach and wanted me to be the head coach. I kind of agreed to be an assistant and worked my way into uh, basically being a head coach for a couple different <laughs> different teams, um, which was unexpected, but it, it kind of reinvigorated my love for the game and my passion for the game um, in a completely different uh, scale than as a player. So I, I tell people this regularly now. I, I, I actually enjoy coaching, I think, more than I even enjoyed playing. Um, just the uh, mental side of it and the approach of how to make, make people better and how to get through to people and, um, you know, learning how to push people and seeing their successes and failures to me um, has just been more rewarding than even internally going through it um, as a player. So uh, that experience with the Falcons was, was kind of my stepping stone into getting back into the game. And without it, honestly, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in today with Omaha or, or with my, uh, my midget uh, uh, path and coaching and, um, I would not have had all the opportunities that I've had. Uh, so I'm very grateful that I, for that opportunity with uh, with the Falcons. Definitely. Those early experiences definitely lead to, you know, your future positions. And uh, people don't often think that coaching at AAA is the route to, uh, you know, a job or a career in the game. But uh, it really is a demanding level. And I know just in the little bit that I've done, it's definitely demanding and a lot of work goes into it. And And oftentimes it's maybe not as recognized as it should be, but definitely uh, an experience that kind of uh, jump starts you in that industry. In addition to the coaching role, you also had a brief opportunity to scout with the Port Huron Fighting Falcons. Um, you know, a little bit of a different perspective there on the scouting side, but talk about what you learned and ultimately um, maybe how it furthered your interest in that area that you now work in today. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Port Huron experience was very unique. It was my first experience really in scouting on a, um, I guess, um, you know, a, a more formal role per se. Um, you know, I had always given information to people about players or whatnot, but that was really the first formal opportunity that I received to uh, be a part of a staff and um, get to know the business a little bit and understand the leagues a little bit. And then uh, obviously cut my teeth in terms of evaluating players and coming up with lists and pushing for your guys when it comes time for, for a tendering process and for even camp, um, you know, camp invites to, to pick in players for the team. So that experience was, um, was great for me. I think I learned a, a ton about um, what I liked in players. And that's the part where I think uh, a lot of young, uh, you know, aspiring scouts or, or guys who aspire to be in, you know, a higher role in hockey from a, a management standpoint, um, sometimes I think they, they, they may miss out on that. Um, you know, even as a player, I, I played a certain way and, and I tend to like players that have similarities in terms of, of things that I always valued as a player. Um, but then looking at it from a different scope and understanding as a scout, um, you know, whom your coach is and what types of type of players that he likes and what types of players that will have success under his philosophy. Um, I really learned a lot that year about that. Uh, the head coach that year was Bill Warren, who was also our GM. Uh, Billy's still a friend today. Um, you know, we, we put together a staff with myself, him, and Trevor Edwards, and Chad Dameworth, who we all kind of um, were connected in some way in the youth hockey world, with college hockey world. Um, and we put together a really good team that actually had a chance that year um, to win the Robertson Cup. And their first year, we were not a part of it, and it was a rough season. Um, the inaugural year was was tough on the Port Huron Fighting Falcons. So, 
um, it was nice to see that type of a turnaround in year two. And again, um, just selfishly for myself, um, I learned quite a bit about how to uh, appropriately evaluate players and understand more so uh, how kids will fit into the coach's style. Because in the end, they're not playing for me. They're, they're, they're playing for, for whatever that head coach is or whomever that head coach is. So you have to have kids that are able to fit that, um, you know, that brand of what he wants in the player and, and that style that he's going to push as a coach. I really do think that a lot of people don't give the scouting craft, I guess you could call it, um, enough credit in, in the fact that a lot of people think they view the NHL and, and you pick out this player and that player and, and you feel like, okay, that's the same thing as scouting. But once you get into the grind of scouting, especially when you're looking uh, maybe a minor hockey to a junior system or something along that transition, uh, you know, there's a lot of factors. Obviously, the coach, like you said, will play a certain way. So you have to find players that will ultimately – mesh with that system to a degree and uh, even when you're scouting a lot of minor hockey coaches might have a certain system that doesn't showcase the the player's full talent so you always have to take that in, into consideration and a lot of times that's just things you learn as a scout um, you know doing it over and over again year after year so uh, interesting to hear how you kind of learn some of those things early on and in that initial experience. One of the main things again that I think sometimes people miss it's easy to go to a midget game and and, you know, watch a kid who is highly touted and say, oh, he's a good player. Well, no disrespect, but there's pretty much anybody in the building knows he's a good player. So um, that's not really where you're going to have your successes, in my opinion, as a scout. I think as a scout, uh, the guys in, in my eyes that, that, that tend to do a great job and tend to provide value for their programs and, and are going to open up more doors for themselves in the future are guys that can identify um, those players, like you said, that maybe – maybe they aren't a fit currently with their, with their midget program in terms of the coaching or the style, or, you know, maybe they're just a guy that's in the background a little bit because there's a couple of kids who were early bloomers physically. And um, those kids kind of have taken over the limelight, but maybe in two or three years, this kid's going to pass those guys. So a uh, great point. Um, I think that's one thing as a scout, not enough people understand the intricacies that go into truly identifying players that can help you win. Um, and again, Typically, the guys that go in the first round of the draft, it's not that hard to figure out that they're good. Um, but usually, if you build successful teams that are going to win championships, you're hitting on your fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth, and in our case, sometimes 17th round draft picks, um, you know, in the USHL. Uh, that's how you're going to win championships. So it's a, a pretty intricate process, and, and I agree with you. I think sometimes people um, don't value enough the work that goes into it on a day-to-day -day basis to make sure that you're identifying players that fit your culture and your program and can help, can help you win championships. Another place where we see a lot of work go in that a lot of people maybe not, don't realize is the head coach position at the minor hockey level. And you're able to take on that role with the Honey Baked program, both our U16 and U15 teams. Uh, talk about those experiences and how they ultimately prepared you for the next step. Yeah, well, I mean, coaching midget hockey 15, 15 only now is what they call it here in, in Michigan. And I think it's kind of getting that way. Um, more so across the board in, in the U.S. Uh, eventually, it seems like it's going to go in that direction. Um, but in the past, you know, we were we were 16, uh, 16 and under, so we could have underage players. So it was kind of a blend, um, which was nice because I think that was a good experience for me, learning how to uh, build a program uh, that had multiple birth years that were on it at the midget level, which uh, in a microcosm of, of the USHL, you know, you can have 16 and 20 year olds, right? So that was a good experience for me being a 16U coach, um, you know, trying to put together the most talented team you could by blending together two different age groups. 
uh, provided a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of learning for me, right? So that was a great experience. Uh, the 15 only aspect has been wonderful. Uh, they changed that a couple of years back, and uh, you know we're still early in the process, but we're seeing positive results for players. Uh, definitely different for me in terms of how you uh, how you build your team and what you're focusing on. Um, you do things a little bit differently when you have one birth year as opposed to having having multiple birth years that you're putting together. Um, but the, it's a ton of work. There's no question, but I love it. Um, I think the guys who do a good job at these levels tend to be passionate about uh, about about building players and developing players and uh, trying to put together teams that can compete, uh, you know, across not only the U.S. but also in Canada. So um, it really is a lot of work, but again, it's a ton of fun. Um, and it's been a great experience for me in terms of the learning side and, and preparing me for, for different um, opportunities that have come up in the management side as well. And another fact that you definitely want to take into consideration with that is the fact that a lot of those, as you mentioned, are, are draft year eligible players. So, um, you know, you're dealing with a lot of that as well, which kind of gives you a glimpse into the next level or, or different experiences and just um, dealing with adult multiple tasks that are around that, that age group and that type of program. And, um, you know, Honey Baked has definitely been successful and, uh, you know, I'm sure the, the coaching aspect and the people that work with you have been a, a huge part in making that a, a success so far. Well, the good news is I don't think we've screwed up too many players. Uh, we've had a lot of talented guys come through and our goal is just make them a little bit better. So hopefully they're prepared for their next steps in the process. Um, you know, we're lucky. We have a great staff here. Uh, my assistant coach, Mike Nodler, Jamie Julif. Um, guys that I've been with for a long time that I trust and guys in the past I've coached with like Joe Pomeranski, who I played with at Miami, um, you know, have really invested a lot of time into our kids and, and made them better players and better people. Um, we've been fortunate with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, even from a, um, a draft standpoint, obviously being involved at, at both those age groups taught me more about, um, you know, the OHL priority selection, obviously, and then obviously the phase one aspect. Uh, for the USHL and, and learning more about the phase two aspect for the USHL as well. And um, I kind of have a template, which is, um, which is really, really nice because I've been doing it for about 15 years now between the various levels. So I've kind of seen these kids that go in each draft and, and how they stack up and the types of players that they are uh, or were. Um, so it gives you direct comparisons year after year of guys that have already come through previously that you can kind of, um, put on the table and say, well, how does this guy compare to this guy? Because they're similar styles or similar, similar types of players. And uh, what did that player's progression look like at the next level? Um, so it's been invaluable for me to be at the, the midget level and coaching at a, you know, a, a high-end program with high-end players. Um, and then again, from an opportunity standpoint, uh, just the networking that's involved uh, through coaching at the draft year uh, level and, and a level where now Division One colleges are starting to to uh, um, you know, make contact with these players in, 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 uh, in attempts to, to uh, you know, begin the recruiting process so that they can continue that path over the course of, of their timeline with guys. So um, there's a lot of networking that's involved in, in, in it as well. And, and again, being part of the draft year um, really makes it something that is, is valuable for, uh, for people who do want to continue to move on in hockey. You also talked about the points where some of those teams had multiple draft years and age groups and uh, I know from my experience as well, I did U18 and it was three different age groups here in Newfoundland. So just a different experience as well. But, um, you know, it kind of prepares you again for that next level in junior where you are dealing with a lot of different people. And another role that you had the opportunity to hold is at the NA, NAHL level with Maryland. 
um, just talk about your time with the Black Bears and, and, and that league overall and give people a little bit of a glimpse in, in what your role entailed in that position. Sure, sure. I'll be, um, I'll be forever indebted to, uh, to Clint Millimock, uh, Brandon Gottkin, uh, Murray Gunty um, with the Black Bears. Uh, the opportunity that they gave me to, to step in and, and help in managing a team, um, building a roster, um, going through the day-to-day processes of, of being a part of the management side of, of a North American Hockey League team uh, truly gave me uh, experiences that I don't think I could have replicated as just a scout. And um, uh, that piece of it is something that's directly translated for me to my position with Omaha. Um, it's just made me more prepared to better understand what the league day-to-day operations look like, what our roster construction looks like, what our draft prep looks like. Um, and again, um, compiling a scouting staff and building your scouting staff and hiring people that actually understand the same vision that you're looking to put together for a team, um, understand the types of players that you want to bring into the program. Um, it was a, a great experience for me. And, and again, I can't thank uh, the staff there and the ownership group enough uh, because it truly did provide an opportunity for me that um, I don't know if I would have got uh, if, if I weren't in Maryland. So. Um, it was a wonderful experience overall. Uh, the North American League is a great league. And when you're talking about a, a league that basically encompasses 16 to 20 year old players, and it's a global league um, now. I mean, you see kids from Sweden and Russia and Finland that are now coming over to that league. Uh, it's a great league for development. Uh, obviously, from a, a Division I college hockey standpoint and a Division Three standpoint, they're doing a great job moving players on to, um, you know, to higher levels. Um, it was just a wonderful experience all in all. Yeah, sometimes those opportunities uh, seem minor when you're going into them, but definitely it's a, it's a great junior league in the U.S. And uh, as you said, there's a lot of players coming from all over the world and being in that league now. So I was definitely interested in, in hearing how your experience there went and what you learned. And you said that it kind of transitioned into your role in Omaha and, and now obviously working as an assistant general manager and director of scouting maybe talk about the process of joining Omaha, ultimately how you got there, and then uh, just break down some of the tasks that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, Omaha, um, for me, that relationship goes back um, probably, wow, eight, nine years now, 10 years, well, all the way back to the Detroit Falcon days, to be honest with you, uh, because we played in the North American Prospects Hockey League, and Coach Wilkie was actually the head coach of Omaha AAA, who they were in that league as well. Um, that was where we first met um, all the way back in, geez, 2008 or so. Um, so that relationship uh, stems over the course of over a decade now. And um, Coach Wilkie and I just stayed in contact about players. And it was more of a casual relationship at first where I would let him know about guys that I liked or guys I coached and um, guys that I worked with that I thought could make that transition to the USHL. Um, and then uh, I actually had the opportunity briefly in, in, uh, in Sarnia. So I worked there for a year with, uh, with Leggy and, um, and Nick Sinclair, um, you know, and then was looking more to get back into the USHL side so I could learn more about that league. And, and again, being a college hockey player for me, it just seemed to make sense to, to learn more about, uh, you know, that path. Um, I thought I could really help kids, kids and, and programs, um, you know, that were more focused on the, uh, the university side. So uh, Wilkes and I reconnected and he got me involved as a scout. Uh, I did it for a year there um, just as a regional guy, basically looked over the state of Michigan and you know parts of the Midwest, 
um, and then was involved with our draft process a, a couple years back um, prior to getting the opportunity with Maryland. So as that uh, season in Maryland was concluding, Wilkes had uh, you know, reconnected with me and we'd stayed in touch throughout that whole season um, and just felt that it was the right timing to get me involved in a, a higher capacity with Omaha uh, with a little bit more responsibility focusing on uh, the evaluating side, the scouting side, our drafts. Um, not, not as much in player personnel, but still involved with player personnel. Um, but obviously with me not being in, in, in Omaha because I'm based out of Detroit, um, you know, it's kind of hard to be involved with the day-to-day -day player personnel um, aspects when you're really not in the city that the team's participating in, right? So, um, so I'm still involved with that, but I would say my, my role is more on the evaluating side, the draft side for phase one and for phase two. Uh, managing our staff. We have uh, 11 scouts across North America right now, uh, making sure that we're up to date on our phase one and phase two lists. And we feel good about uh, where we're at with those lists leading into our draft here in a couple months. Um, and then obviously just coordinating, um, you know, our meetings prior to uh, leading up to the draft with, with Wilkes and our staff in Omaha and, and outside of Omaha. So um, that's basically how it all happened. Uh, with getting back to Omaha, and, and again, Maryland was a huge, uh, a huge piece of the puzzle uh, to get me that opportunity and, and prepare me for that next step of, of my role in Omaha. Yeah, it's it's really there. Never really is a, a perfect way to kind of transition into a role like that. And a lot of people, as we've said multiple times on the podcast, you know, there, there's not a simple throw in your application on this website and, and wait for your call. You really do have to like you said, created a, a network or a connection, you know, eight, nine years ago. And at the time, definitely not thinking it's going to be for that position, but just genuinely creating a connection and relationship. And sure enough, it kind of leads into a role and one that you're very successful in years later. Um, you know, very invested on the scouting side, as you said, uh, you know, there's a lot of daily things they have to deal with scouts and especially covering a large region. But in this year in particular, and it, not even just the USHL, really every league all the way up to the NHL, COVID has definitely changed the approach. So maybe talking in a more general sense, uh, how do you see this year changing in terms of the process of scouting? Um, <laughs> it's changed a lot. It's changed a lot. Um, I mean, typically, you know, we don't start seasons where you're not allowed in hockey rinks, right? So uh, we've really evolved into a, um, you know, a video start, a scouting staff, virtual scouting staff. Um, we're doing our best to get into, to watch as many live games as possible, but based on each region, um, either one, there's been little to no access or, or two, that access has varied throughout the year based on different lockdowns or restrictions or ordinances that have been, have been put in place. So I think for us, we're relying heavily on our network of people. Uh, our network with, um, you know, college programs, college coaches, kids that are committed to programs, our network with agents and advisors that work with players, uh, trying to figure out whom they represent or, or are trying to represent and, and getting a better feel for what types of kids um, are in their pipelines. Um, and then obviously just tracking these leagues via hockey TV, Instat, uh, YouTube, whatever it is we can do uh, to get as many viewings on players as possible. And we're excited now because I think you're starting to see that there's various leagues starting back up. And I think the access to get in live is, is increasing. Um, you're starting to see some of the playoffs that are going to be happening, which is going to be great from a competition standpoint to evaluate players, um, you know, in settings that are going to be highly competitive, which is what we really want to watch. Um, so, so I think that 
as we close out the year, it's going to look a little different than it did early in the season. Um, you know, it's definitely going to be more uh, in person and I think live viewings as the season closes. Um, you know, so we'll identify new players. There's no question. And I think for us, the one big thing that, that we'll be excited about is that some of the kids that we've only seen uh, on video will have an opportunity to watch live prior to our drafts in May. Um, so that piece of it definitely will help. Um, but yeah, I mean, the year of the pandemic in 20 and 21 has really, um, I think it's changed the approach for a lot of staffs in terms of how they evaluate and the type of um, uh, path or plan or process that they follow. Everybody's a little bit different, but um, I know for, for myself and for us at Omaha, we've really relied, like I said, on the video side and then obviously uh, our networking uh, with people that we trust and we know that are, are tied to uh, elite level players. Yeah, it really is a difficult process to kind of play a game when all of a sudden the rules have changed and uh, you talk about using video and different platforms like that. It also interests me to see if maybe down the road uh, when things hopefully are back to, you know, quote unquote normal, if that video and the networking that, um, you know, has been a big part in, in team success for the last couple of years here, uh, if it still remains a part of the process, but only time will tell in that regard. Yeah, I think it will. I, th I think it will. I mean, video is always going to be a piece of it, especially for us. I mean, USHL, it's pretty expansive when you look at the territory that we cover, right? I mean, um, you're talking a, a global uh, a global scouting mission from from essentially this year, 05s all the way up to uh, 2001s. Um, you know, so it's pretty expansive and, and, you know, you're never going to be able to watch every player live. So video is always going to be a part of it. Um, you know, me personally, I, I just think you lose a lot when you when you when you when you don't get an opportunity to watch a kid live. Um, the game is very different when you're sitting in the stands or standing along the glass and you're seeing it happen and, and, and unfold uh, in the moment as opposed to watching it, um, you know, a week later or a month later or a day later. Um, and again, the camera angles are all different on the video. Some ranks it's great, some ranks it's not. You know, you're talking about a different height of the camera at some arenas and a different angle that it's shooting at. So, I mean, things are just very different from a video side. You really, I think, uh, watching players on video, you have to almost flip your mindset and, and evaluate them um, by focusing on certain things that you really feel are going to be important and are going to show and translate on video um, that you, you quite honestly, um, you know, would see uh, completely differently if you were live and in the building. Um, so I, I do think flipping your mindset a little bit and, and focusing on, um, again, whatever you view is important, but figuring out little things that you're going to be able to, to watch on video that you're going to um, be able to appropriately evaluate players on uh, definitely helps because um, I can tell you that I think the amount of mistakes from video drafting will be very high this year. A couple of years down the road, we're definitely going to see the uh, the effects of the video scouting, um, you know, as, as, a, as a primary focus and uh, it's definitely something you have to adjust to with the angles and everything. Like you said, I think I can speak for a lot of scouts as not very often, even when you get a, a perfect camera that's right in center ice, uh, you know, it's not very often scouts are sitting in there in amongst the parents very often. I find that uh, from personal experience, I'm usually down in the corner away from everybody, but um, you know, every scout has their own position. So definitely something to consider within that conversation. You also talked about how broad the, the scouting community is in, in terms of, USHL having to scout pretty much everywhere in the world. And the NAHL is another experience that you had that definitely covered that same area. Maybe looking at the primary experience with NAHL, 
how did you prepare for covering that amount of prospects when you initially went to that role where before that it was primarily just certain areas that you were responsible for? Sure, sure. Um, <clears throat> obviously, junior programs, um, financially, we have limitations that, you know, an NHL club wouldn't really have, right? So um, for us to, to go overseas and really identify every player and watch them live and in person, it, it's just not realistic. Um, and if it is, I certainly haven't worked for a program that had the funds to do that. Um, so, so we have to do it differently. I think, again, relying on your networks, understanding what uh, advisors work um, in what capacities with different partnerships or affiliates that are overseas. Um, that way you can obtain lists of players that are represented by premier agencies. Um, and again, having working relationships with people. I have past players. I have a player in Russia that I coached long ago um, that I actually um, will reach out to and connect with and I get opinions and reports on players from him. Um, it gives me a better feel because he's there and he's in Russia and he can watch those players live. Um, I have a friend in Finland that I play pro hockey with that I'll reach out to and, and connect with. So a lot of it's going to be a networking side. Um, you know, I think at one point last year, um, I was considering going overseas, um, you know, a couple of times. Uh, they were doing something in Sweden that I was going to go to, um, but it just didn't work out due to the pandemic. Um, it didn't work out the way we were hoping to. But, um, you know, ideally, it, it's not, it's going to be imperfect when you're talking about a global scouting mission at, at a junior level because the resources financially just aren't going to be proportionate to the number of players that you have to identify and watch. Um, but at the same time, there's definitely ways um, that you can better understand what's happening overseas um, by going through your network and, and watching video as well on those players, um, but then getting reports back on players. I have, um, you know, uh, I think we all, a lot of the guys in our leagues have, have pretty vast networks of people that they work with at various levels where maybe somebody else has seen a player live that you can ask questions about. Um, so there's definitely different ways that you can get your hands on, on uh, you know, on players from, from overseas that can come in and help your program. Um, but you just have to be a little more creative about how you do that. Yeah, great advice there. And just the fact that you got to use those networks. And um, yeah, definitely at the junior level, it's not realistic that you can just fly to Russia on the weekend to, to take in a big tournament. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, there's a, there's a select few teams in the world that are able to do that. And uh, definitely not in the junior ranks or, or again, not that I've seen. But, um, yeah. you know, switching back to coaching a little bit, while with Honey Bait, you're able to coach a number of strong players and two high caliber players that people may know are Max Nemestikov and Frank Nazar. Um, one of them is going OHL and one of them is in the USHL. Just talk about both of those players and what you've seen from a coaching perspective and how you feel they'll develop moving forward. Yeah. Um, we were obviously pretty fortunate last season with the team that we had and um, the amount of talented players we had and, and Frankie and Max uh, were obviously two very high end players for us. Um, some of the things no matter what level or, or what league you're in, um, in my opinion, that are always going to translate uh, and transfer with you are going to be um, how hard you compete and what type of competitive instinct you have, your hockey IQ, uh, and your ability to make plays in small areas. And when you talk about Frankie and Max, um, both of those kids are elite competitors. Um, they hate to lose. Um, they're um, <laughs> ultra competitive in practice which I think translates to, to what you see in games. That's a piece that a lot of scouts, I, I don't think they ask enough questions about practice habits and 
um, and what kids look like on a day-to-day basis with their coaches because their coaches see them three, four, five, six times a week. Um, and a lot of those, those viewings are, are live viewings in practice where they're putting them in competitive situation, uh, situations against their peers. And um, I can tell you that, that Max and Frankie are, are highly, highly competitive players, not only in games, but also in practices, um, which I think is the big reason for their success. I, I think they take it, uh, take it to heart when they lose. Uh, I think they're professional about their development. Um, they're kids that want to win. They want to get better. They want to play in the National Hockey League. Um, that's just the reality for both of those kids. And that's, uh, that's where their mindset is. They're very strong-willed um, people in general, which um, I, I think is a great quality to have as long as you channel it the right way. And um, I think they've both really grown into kids who have understand, under, better understood what that means. And I think they're going to use that, uh, that experience for their next steps in junior hockey, which, you know, Frankie's been fortunate that he's already had the opportunity to do this year. Um, I mean, from a, a success standpoint, we'll see what happens. But um, just being with those kids over the course of last year and knowing the type of players they are, the type of people they are, um, the type of, of competitive instinct that they bring to the table every day, um, I'd be utterly shocked if they're not uh, elite players at the junior level and, and kids that are going to be highly talked about um, in the National Hockey League draft in a couple of years. Yeah, I'd definitely like to see success for both those players and, and one of them obviously playing in the Sarnia organization. Um, but it's, it's definitely great to see whenever players uh, definitely had that natural competitive instinct uh, in practice and in games at the minor hockey level and you only hope that they continue to, to use that and, and fuel their own developments at the next level. Um, you've been able to coach again this year, and definitely it's a different situation. Maybe a lot of scouts have been able to do their due diligence, but maybe just talk about some of the players you've seen in your program this year and uh, just give them a little bit of time on the mic. Sure. Um, we have another talented team, uh, our 05 uh, birth year group here. I think we're currently you know, second in the country, which um, – speaks much more highly for the players than it does their, their coaches, that's for sure. But um, we just have a great group of, of kids. Um, we have a, a pretty big team this year. I think we're bigger collectively this year than we were last year. We're built differently, but I think we're maybe a little bit harder to play against and uh, equally as effective if that even, even makes sense. Um, because I think people look at that old four group and they see a, a team that you know, probably is up there with some of the best teams that have ever, um, you know, competed at the midget level. And they were, I mean, that team was, was great. Um, but this team here, it's been a pretty rewarding experience coaching them because we have enough talent, um, but we have enough size. We compete like animals. Um, we're built to win, in my opinion. I think we have a great, great tandem of goalies. We have a great decor. Um, and we're very, very talented up the middle of the ice, and we got some guys that can put the puck in the net on the walls. So um, it's a really good team. A kid like Charlie Serrato, I think, um, you know, right now he's he's uh, you know he's probably our leader offensively with him and, and Brandon Hilton. Um, you know that 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 truly can drive uh, you know drive the bus for us and, and produce points. Um, Charlie's an elite thinker, elite competitive instinct, skates well. Um, great stick skills makes everybody around him better. Uh, probably a little more pass first than he is uh, than he is a shooter, but I mean he can score. He just I think chooses uh, to be pass first more than than shot first. But um, uh, obviously a very very high end player that I think is is um, you know going to be in a great position whether it be with with uh, you know different opportunities in the USHL or 
international opportunities during the Ontario Hockey League when, when he makes that choice. Um, you know, Brandon Hilton's a dynamic skater, uh, great stick skills, uh, playmaking centerman as well. Um, really come a long way over the last month and a half or so. I think he's taken his game to another level. Um, and in my eyes, I, I think he's put himself in a great position uh, moving forward for opportunities as well uh, due to his commitment to, uh, I think, having a little more attention to detail in his game uh, and then also taking his offensive game to another level you know, over the last couple of months, like I was saying. So great player. Um, we have uh, Zach Schultz and um, uh, Jack Wilson um, are two pretty high-end defensemen. Um, I mean, our whole decor with Luke Baker and Sean Smith and Kyle Kim are, are all pretty darn talented kids, and they're big and they're heavy and they skate well and they're tough to play against, and uh, they can make plays offensively. Um, so we got a pretty pretty deep decor there. Um, you know, so we'll see where it goes. But you know, a guy like Schultze, I think, is going to have quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of interest um, from various leagues, and, and I have a, a sneaking suspicion that he'll be in junior hockey somewhere next year. So, uh, really talented player, big. It's like a gazelle out there, um, highly competitive, and uh, just a lockdown, shutdown uh, defenseman. Really, really hard to play against. So. Um, you know, like I said, we're, we're, we're deep this year and we have a lot of talented players and I don't want to slight any of my other players. I think they're all in a great position to do the things they want to do. Um, but just to, uh, for the sake of time here, I would say that, um, you know, that's a pretty good start with, with what, I, what I already gave you. Yeah, I think another thing to consider is when you have some elite players, as you mentioned, and definitely um, I'm sure every player on the team has their, their strengths and, and we'll have programs calling them from different degrees, but um, when you have that many talented players in one place, it's only a natural process that everybody improves just from competing in practice and, um, you know, pushing each other in games. Everybody wants to be better than the next person. And um, it's definitely a healthy motivation that can be created within the team. And uh, in, in terms of motivation and, and things in hockey operations, you always look up to other people and, and see what they've done and, and want to learn from their experiences and, and the things that they tell you and, the people at my hockey resource have created a platform that allows you to do that and talk with different people in the industry. And it could be people in the NHL level, AHL level, it could be people in Europe, or it could be a simple minor hockey coach. Everybody has a different background and a story to tell. So for anybody looking to connect with people in this matter, be sure to check out my hockey resource on Twitter and Instagram. One of the things that they do on that platform really well is talk about different resources and things to look into for learning and, and learning about the game specifically. Uh, for you, Jason, do you have any books, articles, programs, et cetera, that you look to for reference or new ideas? Yeah, I think um, the big thing, one of my favorite things that I, I'm kind of a hockey nerd, like I love, I love watching hockey and I can just watch as much hockey as possible and never really get bored of it. Um, but there's a website called the coaches site. Um, I think it's a great site for coaches, but I also think it's a really good site for evaluators too. Um, they do live video presentations from various professionals across the globe, uh, whether it be the NHL, the KHL, the American League, uh, junior hockey. Um, but their presentations about different things. It's, it's the, uh, presentations about how to build elite defenders, presentations on special team situations, um, hockey IQ, uh, whatever it may be. There's, there's all these different presentations that they put together. And they actually, I think they do like a a large seminar every year now too. They're really building it. Um, but I'm on that site a lot, a lot, because I truly think that um, as a coach, it provides you a great 
uh, visual resource where you can kind of combine someone telling you what they do and how they do it and then showing you videos of, of what it looks like at once the finished product is there. Um, it really is, an, it's an unbelievable website. Um, but again, from an evaluator standpoint as well, I think that that's something where um, when you hear these guys that are at the, the some of the most elite levels talk about what they're trying to build in their players, it's a pretty good way for you to understand what to look for in a hockey player. Um, you know, and, and I've used a lot of those, um, you know, those videos and presentations really to uh, fine tune certain things as a coach and then even consider different things as an evaluator. So uh, the coaches site is definitely something I think everybody should go on and, and take a look at. And I think uh, anybody who likes hockey would go on there and, uh, and be able to find something that would be able to help them uh, be better at whatever it is they're trying to do. Yeah, I'll second that uh, in the fact that the coaches site is really great for both coaches, but also evaluators and different people who are looking for a perspective, whether it's systems or um, a broad range of, of uh, subjects. And we've had former guests who now write for the coaches site and uh, people who are involved in, as you said, the seminars and um, the skills coach showcase that they've had. So uh, for anybody who's looking for maybe some more information, I definitely recommend checking that out and, uh, you know, similar platforms to that. Uh, in that process of learning and talking with people, you know, it's something that people do every day in the industry and to be successful in this game, it's, it's no question that you have to have people in your corner and people who mentor you in some degree, uh, for you, Jason, who are some of those people who mentored you throughout your years in the game or, or gave you that advice that helped you, uh, you know, ultimately reach this level. Yeah, I, I've, um, I've been lucky cause a lot of guys that I've played for, um, back in my playing days. Uh, still coaching to this day or, or involved in hockey in some capacity. And, um, you know, I, I've had, um, whether it be casual conversations periodically or, or consistent uh, communication over the course of the years, um, I've had a lot of, of great resources that have been mentors to me. And um, a guy named Danny Brooks, who's, uh, who's a scout with the Washington Capitals, and uh, Danny coached in college and major junior and pro hockey and was with the St. Louis Blues a little bit there. And um, now he's with the Caps and, and was part of the the, uh, the team that won the cup there a couple of years back. And uh, he's uh, just a, a, a great hockey guy. He's taught me a ton about the business side of, of, of hockey, whether it be junior hockey, pro hockey, uh, even minor hockey for that matter. Um, he was also an agent at one point, agent and advisor. So, um, you know, I've seen, I've seen and had those conversations with Danny on various levels and uh, he's been a great resource for me and somebody that, um, I can't thank enough for, for everything he's done for me. Uh, Dan Cole at, at Michigan State, the head coach there, um, is just always always got his phone on for me anytime I need something or um, you know if I have questions or if I want to swing up uh, you know and visit the program and watch practice. Um, you know Dan's always been open to to helping me and um, and being a resource for me and a mentor for me as a coach and as a person. Um, and there's a ton of guys. I mean. You know, I have different different agents and advisors that are very close friends of mine, and um, I have guys within our league in the USHL or guys within the OHL um, that I have great relationships with. Where, uh, in some way, they might not even know that they mentor me, um, but 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 they do because they're just good human beings and people, and uh, they're honest and forthcoming and um, helpful. You know, guys like guy like Brian Prout and Saginaw is a great friend and um, has always been really good to me and. Uh, he's a guy that I, 
I try to, uh, or will continue to try to emulate as, as uh, you know, as a, a, an assistant GM because of the way he carries himself every day and uh, just how he treats people. Uh, Callie Larson in, in Dubuque is, is, uh, is, is just a, a great hockey guy and, and a good friend and, um, you know, somebody I bounced ideas off of in the past as well. And he's always been extremely helpful to me. And, and again, I don't, um, um, I don't even know if they would even realize that they've been a mentor to me in some ways. So um, we're very lucky, obviously, being involved at, at high levels of hockey. You, you come across so many great hockey minds and people. Um, I think uh, the definition of mentor uh, can be pretty broad um, when you look at it because all the, the experiences that you deal with and situations you, uh, you work through, um, you're always picking up information from somebody in some way. And, and typically the guys, um, for me at least, that have been uh, upfront and honest and, uh, and good to me um, have always been considered mentors to me. Yeah, there, there are so many great people in the game. And even when, like you said, that you don't know that they're helping you or maybe they're not directly trying to mentor you, it's still just having that conversation or having that connection with somebody allows you to learn. And, um, you know, it, that's the best thing about this game, that everywhere you look, there's somebody that can teach you something and someone that can help you um, in some degree. As a final question on the podcast and one that I asked everybody, if you could go back in time, maybe talking to yourself when you were still a player or maybe looking at somebody who's just looking to get into the game and start in hockey operations, what's one piece of advice that you would give them in hopes that they would be successful? I think from a player standpoint, and this is something that I guess I'll focus on both avenues because I think it's important. Um, again, almost uh, indirect mentorship in some ways, right? Learn from other people's mistakes. And um, as a player, take ownership of, of your path and, and take ownership of, of your results. Um, don't blame other people for them. Uh, it's not the coach's fault. Um, you know, don't leave any stone unturned in your development. If you truly want to be a college player, an OHL player, if you want to be a pro player someday, uh, it's up to you. And, and the more you put in, the more you're going to get out of it. Um, to me, what I've really learned looking back on my career was um, not that I have regrets, I guess, but I think there are things that I definitely would have done differently. And I think that at times I, I let myself off the hook and um, don't let yourself off the hook. I think it's really important to, to take ownership and accountability of, of what you can control every day. And if you do that, you're going to give yourself a chance to do what you want to do in this game. Um, as an evaluator, as, as a, you know, somebody who wants to get into management, um, ask questions, talk, talk to as many people as you can, um, learn, truly learn. I think uh, sometimes it's human nature that we, we talk, we want to talk more than we want to listen, um, listen more um, and, and, and volunteer your time, get involved in some capacity where you put forth the work um, and, and you're willing to do it for little to no pay because the, the guys who, who, who tend to do that uh, usually open up a door for themselves. And if they combine that with their work ethic, um, other opportunities will come for you. So don't let people tell you no, keep pushing, work, 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 listen to people and ask a lot of questions, build your network as best you can. Um, and, and like I said, um, take ownership of it. Because in the end, um, if you take ownership of, of, of what you can control, you're probably going to have pretty good results. Yeah, really great piece of advice there, both for players and for management. And 
uh, speaking on the management side, it definitely is something that is a grind and an everyday process. And uh, definitely early on, it's not a lot of dollars, but if you kind of put in the work and, and do it for the right reason, you, you'll be successful in the end. Uh, Jason, I just want to thank you again for joining me on the podcast today and walking through your career path to date and, and going over your experiences. And, uh, you know, hopefully COVID is not interfering too much with your process this year, but uh, regardless, I wish you all the best moving forward. No, I, I appreciate it. And, and um, you know, and so, you know, and, and your listeners know if, if people ever wanted to, to reach out with questions are always welcome to shoot me an email. Um, if somebody really wants to talk and have a private conversation, you can always connect them with me as well. And uh, I don't know everything that's for sure, but I'm happy to help with, uh, with anything that I can help with. And especially for people that are aspiring to get involved in, in a, uh, in hockey on a management side or a coaching side. Um, I, I, I think we need, we need more people that are, are reaching out to, to help and get people involved. Yeah, we'll definitely relay that information and I'm sure there'll be follow-up questions, but uh, with that, thank you again and I wish you all the best. Thanks so much. Appreciate your time. Take care. Take care. I'd like to once again thank Jason for joining me on the podcast and giving us the rundown of his career. His insight on scouting was a focal point throughout the conversation and he provided a lot of great advice for those looking to progress in that area of the game. If you would like to get in touch with Jason to learn more about his experiences, as he mentioned, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or you can contact Podcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Matt Anthony, assistant coach with the Cape Breton Eagles. Another young QMJHL coach joined the podcast. Matt has a variety of experiences to his name, which should make for another sound junior hockey conversation. Thanks again to everyone for your support, as March has been one of our best months to date on the podcast. For more content, be sure to subscribe on all of our social media platforms, and keep an eye out for YouTube content as well as we explore that avenue moving forward. As always, stay safe, and all the best.